Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Jesus often clashed with members of a Jewish sect called the Pharisees, who were strong opponents of his ministry. The Pharisees strictly kept the law given to Moses centuries earlier and followed an elaborate system of oral tradition to help them do so. One of the Mosaic laws, for example, was to keep the Sabbath holy, which meant that Jews were not to work on Saturdays. But to clarify what constituted work, many layers of specific restrictions were developed over time, down to the details of how many steps a person could even take. So the Pharisees had elevated these kinds of laws to the level of scripture and prided themselves on how well they kept them. Meanwhile, they were harsh in condemning others for not meeting the same standards. And when Jesus himself didn't follow these added laws, his actions created conflict between him and these religious leaders. So why are we talking about the Pharisees today? Well, we've noticed that people often have an inclination to label a Christian a modern-day Pharisee when they don't like what that person has to say. The Pharisees are trotted out for all kinds of claims that have nothing to do with the actual problems that Jesus had with them. So we're going to talk about several of these myths to clarify what the problem actually was with the Pharisees and how that's very different than how many people speak of them today. But first, a couple of announcements and our tips of the week. Well, friends, we are three days away from our Unshaken Conference at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. We are so excited to see all of our Southern California friends come out for that. Uh, Listen, if you want to come see us in Nashville, I've got some bad news. The early bird tickets are already sold out, which is actually great news because it means that people are interested. It's going to be an awesome conference, but you can still get regular admission for the Nashville uh, conference. And then Tucson, early bird is still available. So grab those while you can. So you go to unshakenconference.com to get tickets for Chino Hills this week. There's still some tickets available. Early bird is sold out for Nashville, but you can still get general admission and Tucson still has early bird. So get your tickets at unshakenconference.com. Well, my tip of the week this week is that sometimes people will say, hey, you just believe what you do because you're biased. And so they'll say, well, you know, Christians just believe the Bible is the word of God because they're biased that way. And I just want us to think about the word bias. The truth is, is that everybody actually does have bias. That's actually true. And so does the person making the claim against you. So the best thing to do when somebody says, hey, you're just biased, is admit that you actually do have bias. Try to say, hey, I want to know what my biases are so that I can set those aside and look at the evidence objectively What do you think your biases might be? And that can be a great way to continue the conversation and just acknowledge that we all do have biases, but it's only the people that actually acknowledge they have them that are able to think more objectively. That's a great tip. That reminds me of in uh, Jay Warner Wallace's book, In Cold Case Christianity. I think he talks about were the eyewitnesses biased? And it's not a question of bias. Like you said, of course, people can be biased, but is their bias leading them to proclaim something that's not true? Are they motivated by something else? So that's a great tip. Well, mine's actually going to be a recommendation for three books. I see uh, requests for book recommendations on world religions all the time. I feel like I just keep seeing people ask about this in Facebook groups. So I thought I would just share three books on world religions that I think are particularly 
really helpful if you want to study them yourself or use them to teach your kids. The first one, and these are going to be from the easiest reads to the hardest reads. So the first one is called A Doubter's Guide to World Religions, A Fair and Friendly Introduction to the History, Beliefs, and Practices of the Big Five. And that is by John Dixon. It's a very easy read. It's very well organized, very approachable if you want to get the big picture of the world's five biggest religions. Uh, The author is a Christian, but he really tries to make sure that he's writing this in an objective way. The second book is a bit deeper, and it covers more religions and also excellent. It's called The Popular Handbook of World Religions, edited by Daniel McCoy. I love this book. It's a great reference tool. And finally, if you want to go really deep on various religions from a Christian perspective, you'll want a book called Neighboring Faiths, A Christian Introduction to World Religions by Winfred Cordwin. I hope I'm not butchering his name there. It's almost (laughs) 500 pages, but it's really excellent if you want to go deep. Well, those are some great suggestions. And today we're going to talk about the Pharisees, which were a religious sect within Judaism. And they emphasized things like personal piety, a belief in the resurrection of the dead, and the oral traditions that they added to the New Testament scriptures. They were mostly middle-class businessmen and leaders of the synagogues. And so before we tackle some popular myths about the Pharisees, we want to first establish what scripture does say about them. We're not going to be able to cover everything, of course, but we want to highlight four key aspects of what Jesus was calling them out for. So first, the Pharisees didn't practice what they preach. So we're going to go to Matthew 23, where Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, quote, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger, end quote. And the second thing the Pharisees did that made Jesus call them out is they did their deeds merely to be seen by others. So continuing in Matthew 23, Jesus said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And so third, the Pharisees ignored the most significant matters of the law. So continuing in Matthew 33, Jesus goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. This is a meek and mild little hippie guru Jesus there, Natasha, isn't it? (laughs) Sure sounds like it to me. Yeah. Fourth, the Pharisees had wicked hearts, but presented themselves as righteous. So uh, finally, from Matthew 23, we know this because Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So with this all in mind, let's go ahead and tackle three common myths about modern day Pharisees. 
Okay, so the first myth that we want to look at is Jesus was against the Pharisees because they were quote-unquote religious. I see this all the time. But to address this claim, we have to first define religion. So a dictionary definition of religion is an organized system of beliefs, ceremonies, and rules used to worship a god or a group of gods. So that would include diverse belief systems like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and others. So in other words, religion is just a broad term for any set of beliefs about a god or gods, and it carries no inherent evaluation of the truth of those beliefs, of the behavior, or the behavior of those who hold them. Progressive Christians and others who say they are spiritual, not religious, often talk about how they are against any kind of organized religion. That is a term that you'll hear people say a lot, basically meaning that they're against any claims that you have to believe or do anything in particular. It's a way of resorting to the authority of the self to determine what's true. So organized religion is seen as this bad thing, whereas spiritual uh, personal spirituality is seen as good. Interestingly, they often point to Jesus's relationship with the Pharisees to justify this belief, claiming that Jesus himself was opposed to organized religion too. And if you make any claims to the contrary, like that the Bible is God's word and you need to believe or do certain things based on what it teaches, you may be called a Pharisee for promoting what they see as religion rather than merely having some kind of relationship with God. Well, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't against the Pharisees because they were religious. He never said or implied that becoming less religious would solve their problems. It was their self-righteous legalism, their hypocrisy, and their rejection of himself that Jesus condemned, as Elisa shared. So Jesus participated in and validated many aspects of the organized system of beliefs or religion that the Jewish people had. We have to understand these are all things that would be considered part of religion. He went to synagogue on the Sabbath. He taught in the synagogue. He considered what we now call the Old Testament to be God's word. And he observed Jewish religious traditions like Passover, the Festival of Tabernacles, and the Festival of Dedication. When Jesus was preparing for the end of his earthly ministry, he told Peter that he would be the rock on which he would build his church. And then he gave some very specific instructions for practicing faith in what would become the Christian religion. For example, at the Last Supper, he broke bread and commanded the disciples to do this in remembrance of me. He also told them to make disciples of all nations and to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So clearly, Jesus saw his teachings as forming an organized body of beliefs and behaviors that were to be carried on by his followers. So given all of this, we can see that there's no need to separate Jesus from religion that is true. It's false religion that is the problem. The Pharisees were never problematic for being too religious. You know, and sometimes I think when people use the phrase organized religion, they're against it because of the influx of critical theory, because they just don't like any sort of hierarchy of an authoritative structure, which really leads us into myth two, which is that those with social power are seen as oppressors. And they're like the Pharisees and they should be condemned. So when people uh, claim that you're being like a Pharisee, they're seeing you as somebody who has social power, therefore you're an oppressor. So given critical theory's impact on our culture and society, it's becoming increasingly common for people to see 
anyone with social power as an oppressor. Social structures that have led to unequal outcomes, for example, for very gr various groups are seen as oppressive. So anyone holding any kind of power within those social structures is part of the system keeping marginalized groups down. Now, that might seem pretty removed from anything related to the Pharisees, but people make the claim that the Pharisees were those in power who were keeping the marginalized down at the time. And since Jesus condemned the Pharisees, people today infer that Jesus would have condemned any kind of power structure. So here's a, an example. This is a quote from a Relevant magazine article. This is called The Age of Deconstruction and the Future of the Church. Now, this is a bit of a, a longer quote, so bear with me here. Uh, quote, deconstruction is God's way of returning our hearts to the main point, love. As a life coach working with deconstructing Christians, most of the people I have seen walk away from the faith did so not because of their struggles with God, but because Christian churches have become too wrapped up in the very things Jesus spoke against with the Pharisees. Who could really blame a person for walking away from a religion when it has been so intertwined with systems of greed, oppression, manipulation, and control? People are not deconstructing because they want to hear theology that tickles the ears. They are deconstructing because most churches have forgotten the core principle of Jesus' ministry. They have forgotten their first love. Now, this, this is something I'm really interested in because I've just completed a couple years of research in the deconstruction movement. And I just want to concede a couple points here. There really are a lot of people who are in deconstruction due to abuses of power, the bully pulpit, or uh, perhaps some kind of spiritual abuse. And that is certainly a reality, no doubt. But this claim that deconstruction is God's way of returning our hearts to love is just, it, it just makes absolutely no sense within the framework of Christianity whatsoever, because what deconstruction really leads people to do is leave any sort of meaningful definition of historic Christianity. And, and just because Jesus had issues with the Pharisees who happened to have social power at the time, it doesn't mean that he would necessarily have problems with anyone in power. So, uh, you know, some, sometimes today people don't even use the word Pharisee, but they condemn whatever they can consider to be today's quote unquote religious elite. And so it's kind of an indirect comparison there. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. There's so much condemnation of the religious elite. And even if somebody doesn't say they're talking about the Pharisees, they presume that you recognize that Jesus is always against the religious elite because they're thinking of his relationship with the Pharisees. So we hear that all the time. Well, the, the final myth that we're going to cover is if you tell someone else they're wrong, you're a Pharisee. This one may be the most common use of the Pharisee accusation. It happens when you make some kind of statement about what the Bible says regarding what is right or wrong, and then someone resents you for pointing that out. They'll charge you with being a Pharisee. For example, in an online article titled 12 Signs You Are a Modern-Day Pharisee, one of the points says, quote, Pharisees love to argue. They love to spend their time convincing others that they're wrong. Pharisees believe their job is to defend God. End quote. So this is really a mischaracterization of Jesus's concerns with the Pharisees. He never, ever criticized them for defending the truth about God or himself. In fact, he criticized them for not believing the truth about who he was. He also criticized them, as we talked about, for defending beliefs and actions that were added to God's truth, the things that were merely man's traditions. But nowhere do we see Jesus calling out the Pharisees for rightly guarding God's truth. And we see throughout the Gospels that Jesus wants his followers to share his truth. Truth, which, of course, implies that we'll sometimes be sharing truth in response to someone's false claims. 
So think of the Great Commission, for example. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, if we're going to make disciples and teach people to obey Jesus's commands, that's going to require conversations aimed at convincing people of truth. Of course, that doesn't imply we love to argue, as that online article said. We shouldn't love arguing, and our motivation shouldn't be to convince people that they're wrong simply because we want to be right. But when appropriately defined, yes, we should defend God's truth. We should always be prepared to give a reason for the hope within us and to do so with gentleness and respect, as 1 Peter 3.15 says. And I think it was Michael Kruger who said that the Pharisees weren't wrong because they were too theological. They were wrong because they had bad theology. They had their theology wasn't strong enough. So to end, let me just offer a couple of thoughts on what to do if someone actually accuses you of being a Pharisee. So first ask them what characteristic of a Pharisee they're seeing in you. If they've uh, a misunderstanding of what the issue with the Pharisees was, then maybe you can graciously explain what the real problems were. They were legalistic. They were self-righteous. They were hypocritical. And if they're accusing you of one of those things, then maybe take a look in the mirror. Determine if maybe you are being a bit of a Pharisee. We're not suggesting that no one ever acts like a Pharisee today. And we should always be willing to look in the mirror and see if it's true of us. So take an honest look, but also know that people can have all kinds of motivations for accusing someone of these things. So just because someone says that, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Because today, if you want to disagree with somebody and end the conversation, just call them a Pharisee and you have a good chance of ending the conversation right there. And so I think a lot of people use that tactic. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Childers podcast for long form episodes where we go deeper into topics like these. But for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on that, as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress, but we will never be shaken. 